Hello, Winterwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, Ryan and I are going to do another twofer episode, Killers of the Flower Moon and The Creator. And you know we're old, out-of-touch reviewers because we're not reviewing the new Taylor Swift movie that's dominating theaters right now. We're, we're doing the Scorsese film, the Gareth Edwards film, the quote-unquote real films, don't hate me. I'm not going to see the Taylor Swift one, most likely. Um, so, admission- Try not to anger Taylor Swift audience and you're fine. Yeah, nothing against them, just didn't get around to that one. Uh, also, admission time, I didn't get around to Killers of the Flower Moon either. <gasps> okay, I'm sorry. I haven't really been keeping up with movies lately. I haven't been to the theater in over a month and didn't realize this one was coming out yet. Okay, you got me. I saw the creator over the new Scorsese film, Leonardo DiCaprio. I know. I know. But Ryan saw it, and he's gonna spoil every ounce of it for me today, which is, you know what, I'll live with it. It's my bad. I I didn't see it. So, I'll try not to, but it's also based on a true story, so you're fucked anyway. Yeah, it's I based know. on that's, real events. <laughs> that's why I don't care. So just no, just spoil the whole thing. You're you're doing. And I've review, seen the do it. I've seen the creator as well because I watched the first trailer they put out. So we're all good, all good there. <laughs> Ooh, shots fired. For shots fired at Disney marketing. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so I'll probably chime in to this killer of the flower moon thing. Um, Ryan explains style. Just ask him questions here and there if I have any. Uh, but I'll let him take the reins for the next 20 minutes, half an hour, however long he wants to go on. This will probably be a shorter episode. Let's see. Uh, so I want to work close up. Ryan, Killers of the Flower Moon. How was it? Uh, so I just got back from watching it today. Um, I've had to change my whole when watching movie schedule because of new work and stuff. Um, lawn, lawn movie, three and a half hours. However, every movie's calm down people. I can, I can hear people fucking type in the comments already. Calm down. It is a Martin Scorsese three and a half hours. So it's breezy. It's the, the pacing it's, it's well done. The editing is phenomenal. It doesn't feel like three and a half hours. It does feel like two and a half hours, which is fine. That's what a Martin Scorsese movie was back in like the nineties and eighties. Um, and for the people complaining or not complaining, but it's weird because I feel like a lot of when people try to do it's, the movie just came out like on Friday and a lot of criticisms about the movie is just the length of it and the filmmaking as an, as a whole. And, I, and people trying to combat that criticism by saying like, oh, but it's a real life story and it needs to be dragged out a little bit or it doesn't need to be dragged out. It needs to be told in every which way or form. I don't know if that's necessarily true I've from a filmmaking a, aspect. I've, I've seen a million based on a true story movies. They don't need to be three and a half hours most of the time. At that point, yeah. just make a mini series or a documentary That'll justify it a bit more than a fictional telling. But hey, you know, Scorsese's been around for 50 years in the film industry. He can do what he wants. I trust him. I don't really care as long as it's good, right? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, I would have complained more about it if it was a bad movie and it's not, it's actually, I think it's a good movie. I don't know about, it's so weird because my brain was so off today because I've just been kind of sleep deprived over the past few days and waiting, for but, Spider-Man. uh, I'm waiting for Spider-Man. I've been mostly doing that Spider-Man too. It's great. It's great so far. I haven't gone through everything. I have a buddy who's already platinumed it because he's a psychopath. Um, I'm talking about you, John. Anyway, but yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon. What to say? What to say without getting me accidentally canceled? Um, Oh, that's the consideration. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about the white people. That'll work. That's true. Okay. I'm only going to talk about the white people. No. Um, oh, that, that's this a bad movie. Decision. That sounds... That sounds... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. That'd be like the movie, like the Green Book. Anyway, this movie... <laughs> this movie is really good. And not in ways you would think where... Because Scorsese is very much that type of director who is known for the glorification of gangsters or mob movies, criminal underbellies, all that stuff. But here he takes the most grounded approach to a movie that I've ever seen from Scorsese or just any of the classic directors. Um, There's really only one soundtrack that they use. I want to say like one musical cue, like one score thematically throughout the entire movie and it works i'm sure there's still little bits here and there there's a lot of traditional native um music in the film as well the now again as a white man i cannot (laughs) use my expertise to say how great the depiction of native culture was in this movie but from what i've read and from what i watched on film it was looked pretty authentic to me uh, it was treated with a lot of respect, both, um, for the, uh, Osage people. Uh, basically if, if people don't, if people living under a rock or just not paying attention when movies come out like Joe, this movie is about the Osage murders from 1918 to 1931. And basically how the, they were a native tribe who were, who had the land, um, in Oklahoma it was part of their county and they discovered on their land a huge abundance of oil and oil around that time was very rare and was kind of a new resource for uh, Americans and pretty much the entire world. So as greedy white people do back in the day, they basically schemed their way into these communities, had some of their white men, and maybe women, that wasn't really depicted that much in the film, but I think it was mostly men, marry into these families and then slowly kill off uh, native women. Every time I look up this this story, it always says Indian uh, like murders, but I'm just going to say native because it feels wrong to me. The US, Americans don't care about the use of Indian. Yeah. Which is, it's more of a Whatever. hot button term up here, but... It's kind of the title of it. It's the Osage um, Indian Murders, but I'm just going to say native because it'll just, I don't know. I'm trying to get as less canceled as possible. But yeah, Dealing the men would get married into these. Matter, you got to wade into it stuff. a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yeah, men marrying into these uh, native communities, marrying all the women, and then finding ways to murder the women either by just straight up shooting them or poisoning them so that then they can inherit the oil land for themselves and then they become rich off of it. That's pretty insidious. Pretty insidious. Uh, terrible thing that actually happened in real life. And the way Scorsese depicts this is not in a way you would think Scorsese would, where it's a bunch of you know classic songs from the 70s and 80s about these real life hustlers going around and you know it's not like a good fellow soundtrack or the departed you know it's straight up this is grounded we're showing these people in the most evil light whatsoever rob uh robert de niro and leonardo dicaprio respectfully um leo plays the protagonist who uh he plays ernest uh burkhart who marries the lead at, um the female lead, uh, Lily Gladstone, who is Molly uh, Burkhart in the movie, who I think she deserves an Oscar nomination, if not an Oscar. She does a fantastic job. Leo will probably get nominated because it's Leo. Robert De Niro will definitely get nominated. Uh, Robert De Niro plays William Hale, who is sort of the center, like the patriarch of this criminal enterprise or this hustler gang. And the amount of pure evil that Robert De Niro portrays through this man is in the most unsettling way, unsettling way possible because of just how real it is. He's not over the top. He's not putting on a big, you know, villain laugh or he's not being, you know, he's not being Al Capone in the untouchables, right? He's not being that guy. He's just being this narcissistic schemer who basically tells himself the lie that I'm a friend to these people. Hey, I donate to this community all the time. We're friends. I call these people my friends, but I'm also responsible for 60 native women's death from the years of 1918 to 1931. It's also thought to believe that's over a hundred deaths because again, not a lot were accounted for, even investigated. It was true from back then. It's even true now. I mean, even up here in Canada, there's a bunch of native women who are being, who just keep getting murdered in BC and maybe Alberta, and it's not really being investigated well enough. Yeah. There's a lot of cries for find them. Why won't somebody yeah. do Can something we about this? Do I mean, something? Kind yeah. of this ambivalence towards it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really sad. It's very sad. It's what they don't teach you in school. North America history is fucked. Especially when the white people come over and take over the land. We didn't learn about this shit in school. Ugh. We learn we learn the uh, the sunshine and roses part of the narrative. It's like we, we learn, oh yeah, pioneers come here and uh, you know, the, the brave adventurers to settle a new land, brave the harsh environments and build a, build a new society better than where they came from and well, a lot of those stories are true, but what they don't tell you is what it had to be built on top of. But we gave them blankets, so that should be okay, right? Blankets, no, you gave them blankets that were covered with the yeah. black pla- peg. <laughs> like, yeah, well. <laughs> come on now. It, genocide. Yeah, I think I learned about residential schools when I was in high school. Like near the tail end. 
I feel like that's one of those things they just kind of mentioned. They they talked about it, but it wasn't. They didn't. Oh teach yeah, it was you like for two it. classes. They just, they just mentioned it. They said this is a thing. This happened, but they didn't really tell you anything about it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'd say let's get into a lighter subject, but this movie's not really a lighter subject. Nope. Um, so yeah, Molly uh, is the yes the main actress in the and it's basically so. This movie literally starts with Leonardo DiCaprio's character coming back from World War One. I. I was trying to figure out the time period because I didn't honestly do that much research going into this movie. I was like, okay, he's talking about the war, but there's cars and there's oil. It's gotta be. And then the word popped up prohibition. It's like, okay, it's somewhere in between the 1920s. There's something there. Uh, and basically his very first interaction with William Hale, Robert De Niro is, um, so you like, you like money, you like women while well, these native women, you know, they inherit so much. And, you know, if you marry them and then we can, all that state money can go to the, goes the right way. And we get that money. And you're just like, holy fuck, right off the bat, we're just already scheming. Like where there's no, like, there's no downtime. We're just already getting into it, which I appreciate. And I love from Scorsese. For a three hour movie, you may as well just get into it. Don't, don't Might as well. Yeah, and it basically goes all over um, and mainly focuses on the murders of Molly's uh, intimate family and all of her sisters. Um, yeah, but like a bunch of a bunch of Ernest and uh, Ernest is so Leonardo DiCaprio is the nephew of Robert De Niro's character. And so Leo marries uh, Lily's character, Molly. Um there's one of uh, Molly's sisters, Anna, isn't married, um, and she is kind of, she's portrayed as a bit, she likes to drink a little bit, she carries a gun in her alligator purse, which was well documented, and apparently, I, I don't know how well it is correct in real life, but she portrayed, she was uh, depicted in this movie as a bit of a loose cannon to someone. And I guess that pissed off, you know, the white men. So they take her to out in the woods and they shoot her in the head. The murders that take place in this movie are brutal, but they're brutal, not because of the glorification of them, because of the realism that they are, especially with Anna's murder. And it's, you actually see the murder more so. Uh, she's killed off probably in the first hour of the movie, but you don't see the murder till the end. It's a wide shot the entire time. It's one take. And it's just two guys taking her to the woods. She's hammered. She's like, you guys are going to kill me. He's like, no, we're not. No, we're not. It's like, it's like, okay, sit her up. Sit her up. It's like, it's like, you're fine. Sit her up. One shot to the head. She falls over. And then they just stand there and just look at her body and just quiet. It's dead. There wasn't many people in my theater at a 2.30 screening this afternoon, but it was dead quiet watching that. I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I felt like I saw an actual murder in real life. It's interesting. So props to, to Scorsese. <laughs> well, it's interesting that he chose to take an objective point of view with that. I, I guess to get in there with any camera angles, really focus on certain parts it would nearly feel like adding a stylistic element to a real life murder in a way that maybe would feel disrespectful uh glamorizing it a, a certain way adding hollywood tricks to it as opposed to just let's just set up the camera 
show you how it plays out is if you were a bystander and feel about this how you should feel just watching this play out. It's Yeah, um, exactly. It seems like a good choice, all things considered, what he's trying to balance here. Oh, yeah. It was an excellent choice because it was way more impactful than, I mean, I'll just say it, a glorification Scorsese murder thing like in Goodfellas. You know, I rewatch Goodfellas or I rewatch The Departed and I'll see someone get murdered and I'll just be like, meh. Because it's the glorification of it. It's not real to me. But then you see something like this, you're like, it, 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 it was real people. There were actual people who were murdered because they had money. And then there were men who were powerful enough or thought they were powerful enough to take that money from them by murdering them and just scheming from them. And it's it's so sad. So um, let's get into the story a little bit. I, I'm just curious now that you've given me all this context. So you said Leonardo DiCaprio's Robert De Niro's nephew. So is he going into this uh, community with the intent to swindle them and kill them like other people? Or is he more oblivious to what's going on? Like what's his intention? Uh, he knows from woman? day one. He knows from day one that his uncle wants him to scheme for him and marry into it. Um, he sort of becomes, it's funny. So where they are at this time, the Osage were again, apologies if I mispronounce the Osage community out there. I white guy. Anyway, apologies. I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. I just watched the movie, but my mind's drawing a blank today. Basically seduces Molly into marrying him. And the movie doesn't outright say on either side if he truly loved her or not. There are hints towards both. I mean, there are scenes where he's professing his love to her. He's, you know, he's like, I want to protect my wife and all that and our kids. But he's also at the same time slowly killing her because Molly has diabetes and it's around that time where insulin was just invented and people don't really know what insulin is. And invented but by the he guy slipped from some my hometown, Sir Frederick Banting. Mm-hmm. They actually name drop Toronto into, into the movie, which is funny. They don't name drop him, but, uh, <laughs> um, but he also slowly slips poison into the insulin. So she's slowly dying over time. And this is where I think Lily Gladstone will win the Oscar or at least get nominated is her, her betrayal of, over the few months of the growing sickness from the poison. Um, she does a phenomenal job. I mean, there's not much I can talk about, but back to the story. It's basically about, yeah, it's basically about Ernest scheming his way into um, the community, marrying Molly, and then going through with the schemes, picking off uh different women and different men from that community one by one, murdering them, setting up murders and then him sort of being conflicted with it as well because he has an obligation to his uncle because he gave him a job. He came back from war. He can't do any heavy lifting, so he feels like he's a freeloader. He's got an injury where he literally can't lift more than 50 pounds, and he's got this job opportunity there. He feels that he's entitled to his uncle and to listen to him, but he also has this connection to his wife. He has to be loyal to her. I mean, he made a vow with her. They're a family now. And 
you see him be conflicted a little bit throughout the movie, but also I think this is where I appreciate Scorsese so much is that you clearly see Ernest just ignoring it. You just see him ignoring what's happening and him basically thinking, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And throughout the whole movie, it's basically just about here's the murders that happen and here's how Ernest, how Ernest and Molly deal with it and how the repercussions of that happened and the conflict. It's a lot. It's a very dialogue heavy movie. It's kind of like Oppenheimer in that sort of way. Um, and the. I, I'm I'm here's the thing. Robert Robert De Niro has been given some criticism over the past decade of his film choices and some of his performances being always just being the old Italian dad from, you know, Goodfellas or whatever and just sticking to that, right? Like, and I've heard some criticisms where his only, his best last good role was in uh, fucking Silver Linings Playbook. This is probably one of his best performances. He completely transforms himself into this disgusting, scheming, narcissistic, southern man who is only thinking about the money, and he's phenomenal in this. It's it's going to be tough. I mean, I thought that the supporting actor category was in the bag with Robert Downey Jr., but now Robert De Niro comes out of here. It's going to be a tough year, man. It's going to be a tough year indeed. Um, oh, that's always nice to hear. Uh, I just wonder yeah. how uh, Ernest is, is he easy to root for? Because if he just constantly puts that conflict in the back of his mind, like, it feels like an easy answer. You don't go on the side of the murderer, even if they're your family. Like, is it, is it just DiCaprio's charm carrying this thing through? Or is he as a character actually? Well, that's the thing. He for? does. He, that's the thing that I think Leo does a phenomenal job in this. Well, is that he doesn't really have charm. I mean, Leo himself has charm. We all know that. But the way he plays Ernest, he's kind of the... He's he's like the right-hand man of William, but he's more treated as like the dog. It's basically a dog that is being told what to do. He's allowed to do it and he's just given commands to follow. And so you're not really rooting for anybody in this movie, but you're just watching acting giants and greats perform at their highest level that you just want to see more of them. I mean, the scenes between Leo and De Niro are phenomenal. Their chemistry is outstanding. Leo, what I was shocked was, uh, about was Leo and Lily Gladstone's chemistry. Think about how that would work. And it's you believe that they've been a couple for a while and that they're married with kids. Uh, Jesse Plemons does a great job though? as the FBI. I don't know. It's 1910. So <laughs> who knows? Well, I'm just saying, I can't imagine DiCaprio with somebody over 25. So do, 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 do. <laughs> oh man. He has his preferences. Anyway, let's not get into it. Um, I'm not judging, just commenting. Uh, it's so funny though. But yeah, Jesse Plemons does a great job as the, Who's honking outside my door as the agent from the Bureau of Investigation, because they are technically not the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They were just called BOI back in the day. And I love that detail that Scorsese was like, no, we're keeping that because that's what they were called. Um, 
Brendan Fraser has a small role as an attorney, a defense attorney, but he's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Just <laughs> he's not even he's not even trying to be funny, but it's the way his very first scene where he's screaming at the judge like, "I need to talk to this man. I need to talk." It's, he does a great job. And there's a moment where Ernest goes to meet with the entire community of um where he's the people he, because they're you try the government is trying to use Ernest to testify against his uncle to bring these murders to light. And there's a moment where Ernest goes back to his family, to the associates of his uncle, and Brendan Fraser is there uh, as the attorney, the main attorney, and they basically manipulate Ernest. This is the weird thing about Ernest too, is that he's very easy to manipulate because the government on one hand is like, okay, we need to use you because you did all this terrible shit, but you know, we can use you in the eyes of court to take down your uncle. He's like, oh yeah, okay. And then he goes back to his family, excuse me, he goes back to his family and then the government, uh, the, excuse me, the attorney basically says, you know, they're not going to help you, right? They're not going to help. The only people that can help you is us. And if you testify, who knows what could happen to you? And they basically scare him into not testifying. And so there's a little bit of a while where they go back and forth in court, but then ultimately he does testify against his uh, against his uncle. And then there's this amazing epilogue where it is, I think it's set in the 40s or maybe where they do like a live radio broadcast show, like a true, here's a true crime that happened. And they do all the sound effects, but you see it played on stage. Um, and they basically reveal, yeah, they all went to jail, but most of them got out on parole. The only one that stayed in jail for life or not was supposed to stay in jail for life was Ernest, but he got out. Um, uh, Molly, who was the, the uh, only native, a woman to survive the the family because she was being only poisoned, not shot in the head. She divorced Ernest a while ago, and she later on was uh, <clears throat> remarried to somebody else. And then you see the very last person who comes on stage and gives uh, a speech, but it's not a speech. He is just reading the obituary of Molly Burkhart, who changed her name, and I can't remember what her last name is. It is Martin Scorsese, and he does it in the most, he's just there to just read it and basically say, in the obituary, they talk about her life, her children, where she's from, but they don't mention the murders whatsoever. And that, would, to me, was kind of a small hint of Scorsese saying, yes, this these murders were brought to light, but then very quickly were shoved to the side and not talked about. That's, yeah, that kind of feels like true crime nowadays. People get outraged about stuff for five minutes and then something new comes up. Things get covered up again. People forget until the next outrage sparks conversation. And then sometimes people remember the old stuff. Oh, wow, this one kind of connects to that old story. But that's that's just kind of the sad way media goes I think you'd love the epilogue, though, because it shows, like, it's hard to describe, but if you ever listen to, like, an old radio pod uh, broadcast, and it does all the sound effects. You see how they're doing the sound effects on stage, and it's really cool just to see old-timey 
stuff and how they did those sound effects. But yeah, that's basically the story of Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, sad. <laughs> Sounds weighty. Weighty subject. It's very matter. weighty. But the thing about it is it's just excellent filmmaking as well because the pacing is so well done and it's realistic as hell on how they did the murders, how they depict it, all the actors, none of them are over the top. They're all great. The editing style is amazing. The cinematography is stunning. The lighting is great. The color correction is simple yet beautiful at the same time. I don't know if I would say it's one of Scorsese's best, but I will say it's one of his most important films, if not the most important film he's ever made. So that's my review of it. That's a, that's, that's a big uh, declaration there. Also, this is the 10th film Scorsese and Robert De Niro have ever worked on together. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's not more surprising and not like, I feel like it should be more (laughs) nearly for how long they've been together. Um, yeah, this, this sounds like an interesting one to me. Um, it sounds like a good story. Well told. It just doesn't sound like something that needs to be three and a half hours though. After you've kind of given me the rundown, I just, I don't know where, like I can see maybe two, two and a half, but I don't know where that extra hour is coming in. I, I don't know if I'll feel like it's really worth it, but um, yeah, you'll probably hear my thoughts on this one come next leisure list in a couple months. Um, well, the I'm thing is about gonna the length. This. The thing is about this length of this movie is that it just takes its time and it takes its time. Well, it's not like they took every scene they ever shot and thrown it all together. They allow time for the scenes to really play out, allow actors to explore the dead space, explore the dead air, to not be afraid of the silence. I was taught that in acting school, like don't be afraid to take a beat here or there and just how they analyze each other and how, especially just in specifically how the uncle interacts with Ernest and how he's basically saying, I want you to integrate yourself into this community and then murder all the women without actually saying it, like giving him a look and then seeing DiCaprio's performance, like taking in that information and sort of like nodding, understanding just little stuff like that, I think is what add to the runtime, but it's also what makes it perfect at the same time. Is it a little long? Yeah. But I've also seen some complaints where, it's dumb complaints too, like Marvel fanboys or whatever. Like it's not like entertaining. It's like, well, you don't it, the, the movies like this don't need to be entertaining. Some movies can just be what they are. And not every movie, not every movie that is good is entertaining. Like entertaining. I wouldn't say I would never call I, this movie an entertaining film. Um, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm a, I'm a, two minds on that i i think i don't need entertainment in my movies in that oh i need to feel like explosions and uh quippy dialogue back and forth like really like riveting stuff keeping me constant like my synapses are always firing always like visual stimuli overload kind of thing some people see, see that as entertainment um this doesn't sound like that but i hope it's entertaining at least in 
oh, well, it's kind of slow and methodical, but it's given me time to think about real world issues, putting current problems in the context of a story from 100 years ago, how much of things changed from then to now, that kind of thing. Like to me, entertainment is still making my brain work in some way, whether it's making my brain work thinking about history and our place in it existentially, ideologically, or if it's just mindless synapses firing and stimulation. It's a different kind of entertainment, but something that a movie that doesn't give you anything isn't worth my time. To me, that's just boring. And there is a difference. I I don't want to be bored ever. Yeah, that's not this movie. I was more so talking about like the entertainment as in like the synopsis of it. You know what I mean? Like, that's where I think some people kind of lose the point of what a film is. You know, it doesn't have to be a fucking big battle every time or fight scene every 15 minutes or, you know, an end game portal opening up. Like, you can just have a grounded, realistic movie and still be... I, it's the weird thing. It was like entertained is not the right word for this kind of movie. That's what I mean. It's not so much entertainment. It's more so that you're just informed and you appreciate it, but you still feel bad about it because this is real life shit that happened and it sucks that it happened. And the fact that it wasn't talked about for so long, but you feel you feel informed coming out of it and you are appreciative of the filmmaking for them doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I can see that. I just I'm hoping it's once again. I just my definition of entertainment is more. It's just it's just making my brain work. To me, that impartial kind of well, you have your informa- own dictionary. We've learned that over the past seventy episodes. No, uh, well, yeah, but for me, that kind of impartial. This is just what's happening. That feels more ripe for a documentary. I don't really care to see that kind of style in my film. Like in a Scorsese kind of style, like to me, there's movies and there's documentaries. You can tell stories in an impartial way, but when I'm watching a documentary, I'm not expecting to be quote unquote entertained. I'm just, I'm getting, I'm watching it for information. When I watch a movie, I go in with different expectations. Not to say that it can't also be informative, but I feel like there's a there's a different bar for presentation that a movie's got to meet. And I don't blame those people who are too bored by something like this. I haven't seen it yet. I, so I hope it's not I, I hope it's not as boring as I I worry. Uh it, it might be perceived, but I trust in Scorsese. Uh your opinion of it's good. Just yeah, I could see this going either way though just based on your description of it. Like, I'm I'm sure it's good. Like, it's objectively good, but may not be what I'm looking for out of a theatrical experience. If you're going into this movie thinking you're going to get the Scorsese stylization, you're not. Yeah, so there is a chance I might come out of this a little more critical than you. Oh, 100%. We'll see. I, f- I saw a funny comment where it was, I'm going to name drop them right now, the Skate Pod podcast, where it's those two Marvel guys and the fanboys they talk to you about all the time, and one of them has the worst takes ever. 
And someone, and he, that's one of his takes was about the entertainment factor of this movie. And then someone in the comments said, oh, he needed like a time lapse of someone playing Subway Surfer on the side so he could be in, entertained while watching this. Because <laughs> that's what happens on TikTok a lot. Oh, yeah. Someone, there'll be like a clip of a podcast or a show or whatever. And then right beside it will be like a clip of someone playing a game or a puzzle to keep people entertained. It's a hilarious dumb internet joke. That's stupid. Uh, well, speaking of entertainment that uh, is trying to be more entertaining but doesn't quite hit its mark, the creator. So this movie starts out very strong with this retro futuristic opening. It looks like 1950s commercials with uh, that kind of announcer like, in the future, today, robotics, that kind of thing. Um, like you'd see in a Fallout opening, something like that. Uh, I just love that style. It always, it's just fun. Uh, and something about it always just kind of hooks me in. Maybe it's the announcing style, the animated thing, the positive vibes. I don't know. They just entertain me. But so it starts off with, it nearly looks like real footage, the way the film grains on it. And it's talking about robotics and the rise of artificial intelligence and how uh, the basics of it evolve into something that became more useful and then it just keeps it keeps going and then you start realizing oh wait this isn't actual footage this is just made to look like old footage and the stuff that's made to look old is actually just like robots from this film and things okay things are getting weird and then LA gets nuked Okay, that escalated quickly. Good. (laughs) (laughs) The place is a cesspool anyway. Uh, That's what I've heard. Uh, Yeah, so this is set in about the 2060s. And so what happened was after AI was nuked, uh, after AI nuked Los Angeles, the United States and the entire Western world banned use of AI. Because they're like, well, we we already got one city nuked. That was a pretty big blow. We're not going to let this happen again. So we're banning all AI. Asia didn't, though. They kept developing it. They integrated it into their society. So robots integrate with humans just in general. There's more robot-looking robots. And then there's simulants, ones that look more like humans. But they don't look that much like humans because they still have this weird, like, opening in their neck. Like, their necks still look robotic. It's not It's not like a Blade Runner situation where you can't tell them apart. But they are more visually human. So Asia's still been developing these under the, uh, the titled Creator Nermata. And so the West has this goal of, okay, we're going we're gonna to kill Nermata. We're going to wipe out the AI in Asia. You know, like we're not at war with Asia, to be clear. We're at war with the AI in Asia that they're harboring. And that's a that's a clear distinction we're making here. We're just trying to wipe out AI for the survival of the human race. So they send in this guy, played by John David Washington, uh, Sergeant Taylor. And Sergeant Taylor is meant to infiltrate this village and get close to Nermada's daughter to well, find a way to assassinate Nermata. 
and hopefully so Normata is a human to be clear who's developing this AI technology <clears throat> um, we don't find out till halfway through that this woman who he does end up uh, marrying is actually Normata but you know what that was that was I saw that coming a mile away it was halfway through and like wow the big reveal did you know your wife was Nirmata? Yes, yes, I, I had that figured out a while ago. Um, but thanks for making it seem like a big reveal. And the only reason it's supposed to seem like this big reveal is because in the first act of the movie, she and her baby get murdered uh, off screen, kind of. There's this Disney. There's this big raid that happens um, where the Americans attack the camp. And they go after her, and Joshua's cover is blown. He's like, what the hell, guys? I was this close to finding Nirmata, and you just blew my cover, and it started killing people in the village. What's going on here? And then as the wife and child escaped, uh, they got blown up by the American military. So then it's five years later. Joshua's still haunted by uh, visions from that night. When his own wife pulled a gun on him and was like, you're a traitor. And because uh, she had him found out. Uh, and the cool thing about Joshua, he's kind of a cyborg. He's got robotic arm and legs. But I guess that's another distinction that society makes. Robots and AI, they're their own thing. But we can still use robotics to fix people. It's like an Elysium thing. Kinda. Yeah. It's not really acknowledged at all where his cyborg parts come from, but it, it is interesting that he is sort of one. He's missing an arm and a leg. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a curiosity. Easy Maybe writing 101. We don't have to explain anything if we just don't acknowledge it at all. I kind of like that, though, because some things don't need to be explained. He's a soldier. I hate you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's a soldier. He probably though. got blown up or something. It's just, it's subtext. I don't really know what it's trying to communicate. Let me take a stab in the dark in that he gets more sympathetic to AI during this movie, but you could argue he was always a little part robot himself already. He, his wife was the creator of the robots. He's kind of a cyborg himself. His surrogate child in the movie is uh, an AI made by humans. It's kind of this symbiosis thing. So I guess you could say that he was always kind of destined to become one with the robots in a way. It was it was a part of him from the very beginning of the film. That's just my reading into it. But uh, so anyway, the thing about this war with the AI is that the American military has developed this super weapon they call the USS Nomad, which is effectively a mini Death Star. It just kind of hovers in the sky over Asia, and whenever it senses targets, the AI, it's got these light beams that shoot down from the sky and zero in on their targets, just kind of wide light, narrow, 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 pinpoint missile bang um it's it's that's scary. pretty cool yeah it's uh it's a pretty terrifying super weapon there so the ai 
their only hope to win this war is to take out that super weapon, but the U.S. knows that. They're like, well, the AI developed a weapon of their own, and it's the only thing we know that could potentially take out Nomad. We don't even really know what it does. We just know it's out there. So, Taylor, you you got to go after that because you're the only one who really knows the area uh, that well. Actually, I don't even really remember why they got him on board. Specific, He hasn't been in the military for a while. Um. I don't remember if there was a good reason they brought him back because he was kind of out of service. I just remember he came back because they showed him a video of his ex of his ex-wife, Maya, who was still alive. Uh, surveillance footage that the military pulled and they said, well, you know, here's some kind of vague footage of your wife. If you want to go after her, that's a good reason to come back. And he's like, fine, I'm only doing it just because she might be alive. And I want to go find her. I, I, I have no loyalty to you, to be clear. I'm just going to find my wife. That's my whole shtick. My wife. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to double back for a sec because I also really like how his job before he goes uh, in L.A., uh, he has to go around ground zero and clean up the remnants of the robots that were destroyed in the blast. Just because they might be a potential danger later. And a great scene was when he was with his partner and there was this and there was this robot when they activated it it was yelling for its family and it sounded like a real person enough that it freaked out his partner. She's like, "What the hell? That sounds like a real person." And then he just clips it. Like it's not it, whatever, man. And then they just throw That's it in. That's kind of funny. Yeah. And then they just throw it in this giant trash compactor with it's a huge trash compactor with filled to the brim with bodies of robots that are trying to crawl out and just gets crushed it felt very holocausty genocidal robots because you know they're thinking feeling creatures just well not creatures even they're just they're they're being they're just kind of being destroyed brutally, even though they can think and feel for themselves. They're just treated like machines when they aren't, and everyone just kind of acts like they're machines, I guess as a defense mechanism in a way, because they, they have to dissociate or else they'll get guilty about it. Um, the American military doesn't really dissociate on it, though. They know what they're doing, but they see it. And I really like this illusion. They talked about the Neanderthals and about how, well, once upon a time, there was humans lived alongside another species, other species on this planet, the Neanderthals specifically, and through evolution and survival in, uh, instincts and, and warfare and disease well long story short we were the superior species we outlived them they went extinct because we fought harder than they did to survive that's one narrative you could argue but long story short we we lived they didn't and they see robots the same way that we made this ai but left unchecked for long enough they're gonna come to replace us they're just like they are superior to us and and the american military acknowledges that like 
they they are better. They have more potential than us, and they will replace us given time. We're just trying to fight for our own survival here. We don't want to be like the Neanderthals who went extinct. And coexistence isn't really going to be an option in their mind. One one point off of realism, the United States would never admit that they are lesser than any other country in the world or any other being. <laughs> Well, not openly, not in its propaganda, but the people who run things know what's going on, you know? Fair. So that's kind of the one of the big questions. Do he, does humanity deserve to live or did we have our time and should just peacefully go into I can't night? answer that right now. <laughs> I think we're we're before our maximum potential right now i think we got a, a ways to go hopefully yeah we're we're, we're we're getting better um so yeah so then they go on this mission they uh this is the part most of the trailer spoiled that you were talking about earlier so then they find this kid and it, it it's weird because the robots have never had a child Every AI and robot or simulant has always been an adult, but this is a child robot. And we learn later on in the movie that it's actually got the potential to grow somehow. I don't really, they didn't explain that. I don't know how that works. Like That's a little weird. But this child can grow if like a If we don't person. acknowledge, we don't have to explain. Yeah, basically. So this child can grow and it is effectively an EMP. It can control any technology, control or shut down any technology, which is like at will. It can kind of connect to certain things like, well, we're going to shut down your car. I'm going to turn this back on. It just likes watching anime cartoons, mostly. Uh, so Joshua Taylor finds this um, and like okay well you're you're just a kid you're an asset but I, I guess i'm a little too guilty to kill you right now i don't really care you're just i'm here to find my wife and you and they said you knew where she was so i'm just kind of gonna protect you until i find her so then he takes the kid and goes rogue from the military and his colonel and her right hand man they're like oh well he defected so screw him we're going to go after him. We're going to find the kid too. And we're going to kill the kid because that'll ensure our survival. And these American military are real dicks. You know, there's, there's this one scene where they got, they're interrogating these, these people in the village to try to find the entrance to the secret lab. And he's got the gun on the dog's head in front of this little girl. He's going to kill her dog right in front of her. She's, she's screaming. She's crying. She's, and he doesn't care. He's like, just, just tell me where the entrance is. No remorse whatsoever. It's just, not very nice. Oh, okay. You're just you're the kind of people who will traumatize children just to get your aims, and you don't even care. Um, so they're kind of I don't want to say they're cartoonishly bad, but I feel like they lacked some nuance in in the beginning. Like I said, I like their argument that we don't want to be like the Neanderthals. We're trying to fight for human survival here. But they also, at a certain point, went a little too evil for evil's sake and just started looking like, well, are you going to see that any nuance in this situation whatsoever? Doesn't look like it. 
One interesting thing I noticed about them, though, is that the robots who weren't looking like humans, they um, they had this design to them, and they were police, as well, like they're police units as well that are used, but they had very, very similar looks to the helmets and uniforms of the American military when you couldn't see their faces, which to me read as military or just automatons. They're basically functionally the same. They're all just being told what to do. Except the AI arguably think more for themselves than the military do. Which is kind of the uh, the funny part there. So Taylor and this kid go on a bit of an adventure through New Asia. They're, they're trying to look for his wife. They're, they run into his old friend. Uh, they run into the, the simulant rebels who are just trying to survive. And uh, Ken Watanabe is one of the leaders of them. And I got to just single him out right now because he's the only actor in this movie with any charisma. The moment he came on screen, I'm like, wow, I care about you more in one minute than anybody else. An hour and a half in or whenever he showed up. Yeah, he's pretty great. I love Ken Watanabe. He's always care. He's always just solid in everything he's done. He's got the most iconic line of our generation. Let, Let them, them fight. fight. <laughs> yeah, I do it immediately. I remember watching that movie in the theater and being like, really? Because I was kind of pretentious back then. I still am. Uh, but then like years later, I was like, nah, it's a good line. <laughs> what else is he going to do in this situation? The military is not going to fight. I don't remember what it was. It was, was it Mothra. Godzilla. No, nah, the, the one he was fighting. I don't remember. Uh, God, it's the first Godzilla. Godzilla was fighting like two, they weren't even named. It was like two smaller monsters, like nameless monsters. Right. It was like two nameless monsters who were trying to mate, but Godzilla was like, don't mate because that'll destroy the planet. I don't know. Godzilla 2014 was weird. It didn't have a lot of fight Mm -hmm. scenes, but how it was shot was pretty well grounded. It was pretty cool. Has one of the best teaser trails of all time. Anyway, back to the creator. Yeah. So, yeah, this kid kind of knows she's in danger. But oh, was I, I was talking about the acting. Uh, yeah, I didn't care for the acting in this movie. Uh, this is the movie that made me realize I'm not a fan of John David Washington. I've seen him in about three things. And to be clear, I think he is a, a decent actor. He does what is needed he i just feel like he doesn't have much range as an actor though i feel like the three things i've seen him in he's effectively playing the same role which is kind of war- like the first time i saw him in tenet i'm like okay i'll just i blame i blame the writing mostly and then i really liked him in black Klansman. but you know he wasn't the standout performer in that one and then he's in this one and have you seen Malcolm and Marie? I uh, have not. Yeah, that's the movie with like it's basically just him and Zendaya, and it's like a play, like a kind of a what do you call that when it's sent in one location? Not a bottle episode. That's for TV. What do you call that? I don't know what you call it in a movie or play. Damn, I know. I think it's called something, but in TV, it's literally a bottle episode because. 
contains in one place. But it's just them like acting their shit off, and he's he's a sh- like a shitty person in the movie, but he's a little charismatic at least, and he's kind of funny at the same time. Yeah, I just find he lacks. It's not for everyone though. <laughs> yeah, I just. Yeah, like I said, he does his job, but I just, I didn't feel an emotional connection to his character. Cause, and I'll tell you part of the reason why is because his whole motivation for the movie is I'm going to find my wife. And it's hard to get invested in that when we only saw him with his wife for maybe less than five minutes. And those were the first five minutes of the movie before the wife allegedly dies. You're hinging the entire plot of the movie, the entire emotional hook on that first five minutes, which wasn't even that memorable or particularly well presented. So if like, unless you like were super into it in that very beginning, there's really no reason to care. You're just kind of watching him. Do you think if it was better, if like say the two actors had more chemistry or if it was presented much better, you would have been hooked more or you still needed more time. Cause that's one of those uh, things where I think about like, yeah, that should have been explored more, but like, okay, I get, he wants to get to his wife, but also we didn't see much of their relationship. We just know that they're husband and wife. So we don't emotionally care about these two really. Exactly. I mean, I don't, chemistry was kind of an issue. Come to think. I mean, David, John David Washington and Jimmy Chan weren't like, you know, sparks flying off the screen or anything just but like i said they really only got two scenes together they had the very beginning is basically just them she's kind of making fun of him for something they're talking about their baby a bit there's some vague flashbacks to them on their wedding day no dialogue in there even they're kind of just partying on a beach together there's the brief confrontation where she throws the she pulls the gun on him and is disappointed that he was a mole for the American military and then she runs away. That's barely a confrontation. And then they meet again at the very end of the movie. And that's basically it. There's, there's nothing there. It's all exposition building their relationship out. You don't see why he cares about her so much. She's not even a character really. She's an idea that, uh, an idea, nearly a MacGuffin that they're all trying to find. So that just takes the emotion right out of it. If we don't acknowledge, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's completely different. There are sometimes, I'm going to say Star Wars is a great example. Star Wars, a new hope. That movie didn't explain crap. It just starts with two ships flying. You see a little one, you see a big one, you know, they're, you know, you know, one's an underdog. You see these guys in white helmets. You can see the other, the rebels' eyes. Okay, the ones you can't see the eyes, they don't have a soul. It's dark. It's okay. They're like all in the same uniforms. They're some kind of, um, they just kind of look evil. And um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just um, Lifeless, they're just all soulless. They're they're just like all the same thing. They're, I can't think of the word. Anyway, they're just like this. This one, I'll say, monolithic, like monolithic empire. The giant guy in in the black costume and cape comes out. 
They talk about the Imperial Senate being disbanded. They're just desperate to get these plans to something you don't even know. Like, just from scene one, and then later we're hearing about, like, the Clone Wars. Uh, Like, your father was a Jedi. Oh, what's a Jedi? Like, that movie doesn't explain a lot. But it's all... You can fill in the gaps. It doesn't really matter. It's like, when it comes to lore, when it comes to... Like, they don't explain what lightsabers are either. It just kind of is what it is. There's a lot of things I'm willing to let slide just for, you know what, this is just part of the world. If you had to explain everything, the movie would be five hours long. Just let the world exist. I'll catch on. This movie doesn't explain a lot. It doesn't waste a lot of time, and I appreciate that. I, I was just dropped into it. I understood what was happening with the barest of context. But when it comes to emotional arcs, when it comes to character stories, I need to see a little more to care. So there is a difference to me between fair. stories and lore. Yeah, so... And speaking of that, the resolution is awful. It basically ends with uh, Sergeant Taylor sacrifices himself to save the kid. And... uh Ooh, they have this, seen it. They have this, I, I, love, I love you moment. And I'm like, that's I not know. that's not earned <laughs> at all. You were literally just using her to find your wife. And then you got guilty when you started seeing her as a real person. I'm like, okay, you drop little hands. You're using gender language now. You're ca- you're calling her a her, not an it anymore. Whatever. Okay, I, I like that. There's some subtlety there, but... What if John David Washington like goes up to the AI little girl and his dying words, don't be what they made you. <laughs> That was it's impossible. I'm an AI. <laughs> it was close. It was Century con- Fox ripping off from themselves. Just, hey, we got it. Let's rip it off. Oh, sorry. Actually, no, it was the exact opposite. Now that I'm, you know, not joking around. He was, he basically said, be what they made you. They went up to the Nomad ship and blew it up. They, nice. They, they blew up the American military ship, which was absolutely so stupid, by the way. So... When the American military finally catches up to him, they don't arrest him for being a traitor. They just bring him back home, and they're going to kill the kid. But they're like, you know what? We'll let you pull the trigger because she's comfortable with you. And then he just stuns her, basically. And then he's on the car ride when they're taking her body to this funeral that they're having for her for some reason. Like, why, why would you care about this AI machine? Why are you giving her some kind of burial at all? Or just destroying the body, basically. Like, why are you letting him on this caravan? So then he basically takes out the caravan, steal, kidnaps her. Well, she's she's going with him, and then they break into this airport, steal a, a lunar ship to the moon, hijack the ship and take it to the Nomad base. Take out all the security on the Nomad base through some of that, you know, some of her turning machines on and off bull. And then they, they blow up the base and and he dies. But I'm like, okay, look, I could buy that you hijacked the shuttle with her powers. That made sense. I, I, But that's as far as it went. The military knew they hijacked the shuttle. And I thought, why didn't you blow that shuttle out of the sky? I don't care. There are civilians on it. In a, like you, this is, you are trying to win this war. 
against AI. You think the ship is your only weapon. Your whole thing, this whole movie has been keep the child away from that ship at all costs. I don't care what civilians are on that shuttle. They should have blown it out of the sky. They had literally, they didn't even use the civilians for an excuse. They just didn't do it. They just did nothing with that ship. They just let them go there and destroy it. It basically, as soon as it's funny, I watched this movie with my mom and and afterwards, when we came out of it, we realized that as soon as they came back to America, we both checked out completely before any like the third act. We weren't even really paying attention because it just got so ridiculous so fast. It was stupid. You should have went next door to watch the Eras tour. I probably should have. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just ridiculous. Like none of the emotional payoffs landed at all. I barely wanted to pay attention to it. But um, let's get into some good stuff, though, because there was a lot of stuff I did like. I've been complaining about it for a while, but I, I did it looks like pretty gorgeous. It's probably the prettiest special effects heavy movie I've seen all year. Blows a lot of things out of the water. I'll say Marvel because I pick on them a lot. Prettier than Ant-Man and and the Wasp, Quantumania? Night and day. The production <laughs> design, uh, what was his name? I, I wrote his name down. Steve it, James, Madden. <laughs> James Klein, production design. He did mwah, ah, an exceptional job on this, uh, on this film here. It's... Um, I love the the cityscapes of of the United States, the the camps of New Asia, the AI labs, um, the nomad, um, the the costume designs of the of the military, the 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 vessels, the giant police tanks they use, the the weapons, the the combat. Just everything about the production design was gorgeous and rendered beautifully. There wasn't even, there was only literally, by my count, one Uncanny Valley shot in the whole movie. Everything else was extremely convincing for me. Like all the robots, even the simulants, the the robot-human blends, everything was perfect for my eye, basically. Except for this one weird shot of a Matrix-like octopus monster that just, eh, that that didn't work for me. It looked a little too rubbery. Everything else, I'd be shocked. Well, I do think it was some CGI or CGI enhanced. I do think a lot of it was practical, but if it wasn't, my mind is blown. If it was as much CGI as I think there might have been, they did an incredible job. Although I did notice earlier on in the movie they were using a whole lot of close-ups and medium shots, which for my money, they were trying to hide the backgrounds so that they didn't have to show too much of it. Shh, don't don't give away the magic trick. (laughs) Don't give it away. I just couldn't tell if they were doing that because we built practical sets, but they're not that big, so we can't show these grand vistas without doing special effects or... Our green screen doesn't look as good as we want, so we're trying to minimize its use. I couldn't tell which one it was. It nearly looked like it was practical sets that they just couldn't make big enough as they wanted. Maybe maybe no one wore pants that day, so they just 
It was a no pants day holiday, so they just had to do the medium and close up shots. Going back to Star Wars, they pulled a Peter Cushing. <laughs> oh jeez. Yeah, you you know that story where he had to wear the slippers because he didn't like the boots. It's a uh, Tarkin. Yeah, so let's see. What do my notes say as well? Um, yeah, ILM did the effects, of course. They did a fantastic job. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, the pacing was god awful. We I walked out of the movie, and it was we started the movie at four. It ended at uh, it was two hours or so. And then my mom and I were like, oh, that movie had to have been like three hours. Like we could have seen Killers of the Flower Moon, but we, we didn't, we chose against it because it was three and a half hours today. What, what the heck? Oh, why, why did we go to this three hour movie? It's only six o'clock. That was just two hours. What the, oh man. Uh, so it was a two hour movie that felt like three. That's an accomplishment. Uh, but let's see. That's wild. That's yeah. actually wild to think about how a two hour movie feels like three hours. That's wild. Actually, I've only felt that once and that was the live action Aladdin. They got through all of the shit that they did in the original movie. And I was like, fuck, we gotta be wrapping up here. Cause it was near the end of the original. There was an hour left. I was like, Oh my God, I can't do this. Yeah. I haven't seen that one, but I know the feeling. Directed by Guy Ritchie. You're right. Um, Put his name on the cover. Let's see. Uh, Gareth Edwards directed and did the story for this one as well. Um, I thought his director. Yeah, that was, was big on the marketing. Director of Rogue One. Yeah, I could tell because it had the same kind of color palette. Like I, I've seen this look in a movie before. I. I didn't care for it as much this time, though, because I understood what he was going for. He was trying to do the same grounded world again, and he did, to his credit, make a, a realistic tone. I bought this world entirely. It was a really cool setting, but it just felt, the filmmaking and the look of it just felt stilted and lifeless in a way. It was, it was just kind of drab, and it, it felt like being in reality in a way where it's like, this is a fantastical world that I should be more in awe of, but it feels so real that it's, it feels so real and like in a mundane kind of way. Which yeah. Real life looks like sucks. shit to the human eye. <laughs> yeah. It just looks like real life, but with cool things that are like supposed to be cool on screen, but they don't feel cool. And that's frustrating. Boo. Uh, yeah, uh, Hans Zimmer's score was good, though. Sets the tone well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I don't think he's ever missed, if we're being honest. No, I can't say he has. So, yeah, that's basically the creator in a nutshell. Gorgeous-looking film, incredible production design, good score. Oh, and the bombs. I haven't talked about the coolest part of the movie was the bombs, which were... So there's this one scene where the simulants are trying to defend their village and the village is uh, surrounded by this moat with a, with a wooden bridge that goes across it. So the American military lands their, uh, lands their planes just outside the village 
And then you see these little, these little like torpedoes, basically, that they set a timer for. And then the torpedoes stand up with arms and legs and run across the bridge with the timer going. And the simulants are just like firing at this thing with machine guns. And it's just bouncing off the armor like crazy, but it's just running on in a straight line down the bridge. And then it gets right into the middle of the village, just sits down, blows up. And then they send another one out to do the same thing. That That's was legitimately cool. awesome. Those were the easily the coolest scene in the whole movie. The only time it's, I had I my feel jaw like, down, I'm like, wow, this is actually cool. I feel like this is one of those movies where it's it's kind of dreadful to watch all the way through. But there's that one thing. There's that one cool idea that got past the producers. I was like, no, this has to be in it to be unique and to have something actually cool in those movies. There is some interesting philosophy in this movie. Like a line I have written down here is when he's talking to the kid, uh, the idea of heaven is explored a lot and Joshua doesn't believe he's a good person. So he can't go to heaven. And um, so he's talking to Alfie about it. And that that's what he calls the, um, the, the uh, simulant kid. And she says, we're the same. You can't go to heaven cause you're not good. And I'm not a person. So there's some interesting philosophical uh, philosophy angles in there. Uh, like, what does it mean to be a person? Personally, the most interesting part of the movie, which I probably should have talked about a while ago, but I'm I'm going on tangents. This is just I'm getting to it now. But it's when Ken Watanabe reveals to Josh what really happened in L.A. He's like, "Did you know that the?" The bomb going off in L.A. wasn't even our fault. That was a coding error by the humans. And you know what would happen if we won this war? Nothing. We don't want to kill you. We just want to survive and live in peace. That's it. It's just one monologue in the movie, maybe three quarters through. But I thought that was the most interesting part of the entire thing. Just this, I, for multiple reasons. For one, it's one of the only AI-heavy movies I've ever seen where the humans are preemptive about it. Oh, crap. We, like, a bomb went off one time. We should probably shut this AI thing down before it gets worse. In most things, humans wait till the last possible second when AI wipes out most of us. So humans were actually preemptive. Score one for that. Score two... The AI doesn't actually want to wipe us out. It just, it doesn't really care. It just wants to survive and coexist and thrive, be allowed to thrive however it will. It's perfectly coexisting with the people in Asia. Like they're, they like police robots work alongside regular robots. Uh, AIs integrated into their cityscapes their advertising just the culture in general human roboticists and robots work hand in hand their uh romantic partnerships it's just normal there there's a symbiosis in that culture and it works just fine but the americans are scared of it and just want to wipe it all out without really giving it a chance so it's Interestingly pro-AI in this era of caution with the new technologies that are getting better and better all the time. 
cool. <laughs> yeah. So there is some interesting ideas in here. It's just, I think it's a movie to watch if you're bored. I wasn't especially entertained. A lot of it outright bothered me, but it did provoke some thoughts. It did have some cool moments. It's a really unique world, and it's it's well shot. It's well directed, mostly. It's it's a movie that should have been great, and that's that's why I'm get, I'm passionate about it, and that's why I'm talking about it so much. It, it should have been great. All the pieces for a classic were here. And it just didn't turn out. And that's very disappointing to me. I'm just very disappointed in this movie. It should have been so much better. Right. It looked like, this might be a little bit of a dig at the movie, but it looked like the same aesthetic as when Elysium and Oblivion came out. And that couple year gap there was like post-apocalyptic space-y AI robot uh, Earth fight with two male leads or male leads. I should yes. say. Oblivion is definitely underrated. Elysium, uh, I, I was yeah. really on at the time. Oblivion's actually pretty good. I saw that in theaters with a couple of buddies. I like the aesthetic of that. And I think, again, I could be wrong, but that was one of the first movies to actually use the volume. When they're up in the, they're like sky apartment. Because if you think about it, their entire apartment is glass and doing reflections and visual effects. Socks. That's why it was terrible in Attack of the Clones, the reflection. So like, what if we just made a giant projector screen and then they're just there? I'm like, huh, smart. I don't think it was called the volume back then, but it was like the alpha of the volume. No, that was like 2014. That was too long before the volume. It's like five years before yeah. it became officially yeah. a thing. I like Oblivion. Oblivion's good. Elysium tried. It's got cool effects in Elysium. Yeah, Elysium is another one that should have been great but just this Elysium I think Matt is the Damon's closest. funny in it though he's got some funny moments yeah uh, Elysium is the closest movie I could probably compare this to it's a sci-fi thing that's got really good moments might become a cult classic somewhere but should have been right. better yeah I'll probably catch it on streaming <laughs> yeah yeah it's I'm just disappointed. Uh, I still have to watch Barbie, though. That's another thing. Barbie is delightful. Yeah, I've seen clips of it around YouTube and all that, and I'm laughing every time. (laughs) It just looks like a fun movie. I don't know what I don't know what incels are complaining about. It looks like fun. Why are you complaining? They're complaining because they completely missed the message of the movie. It's funny every time I hear the point. (laughs) Every time I hear complaints about Barbie. They're complaining about what they think it's saying. And I'm like, no, that's that's not what the movie was actually saying. You completely missed the point and you're getting mad about it. Oh, man. Yeah, I'll definitely watch it sometime. Because what we're going to yeah. do in a couple months are 2023 top 10 movies or top 10 film things or media things. So probably Barbie will be up there. I have a few on my list right now. It's not fully complete, but there's an asterisk beside it because there's nothing that's been great <laughs> lately. Yeah, well, now we're getting into... Oh, I mean, we got we're a couple into more Oscar garbage. season, baby. We just have to get through Halloween season first. Oh, fuck's sakes. <laughs> we got to get a few... got to get through a few uh, old Halloween franchises. 
such as Saw. I think a recent Saw movie came out. Um, there might be a Chucky thing coming out. I don't know. I heard the Saw one was good, but I haven't seen any of those, so I'm not invested. Uh, I've only I've seen like my buddies used to do this weird thing. Not a weird thing, I guess. Where we would start one horror movie and then watch the entire series of it in one night. That was just like a thing we did at sleepovers. So I've seen a bunch of the saws. The first one I would actually say is pretty good from just a filmmaking standpoint. I've heard the first three or so are good, I think it was. Yeah. And then it starts decent. diminishing. The parent, yeah. the what's the, was it paranormal, paranormal activity? Is that the one? No. What am I thinking of? Is that the one where they're like they see their the guy sees his future death and then saves himself and then death haunt? Is that the what what it is? Or am I thinking something else? I think that's something else. I think oh, paranormal activity is one of those found footage ones. Yeah, you're right. Paranormal activity is the what am I thinking of? Final Destination. Those movies suck. <laughs> I don't like those movies. Yeah. All they did was traumatize people from driving behind one of those wood trucks. Yeah, those things come into my work most many days. Your entire work is wood. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We threw don't you in, behind it. We threw you in the log splitter and oh, for, for our last film. That's yeah. coming out uh, November 4th. Yeah, so, you almost uh, tried to shoot me too. Anyway, <laughs> well, let's wrap it up here. You can <laughs> just, we're going to leave it there. Just be like, what? Don't worry about it. I'm alive. Watch you can find film. me. Battle yeah, for you'll Blood. <laughs> you'll find that. That's a great uh, graphic design, by the way. That was great. You can find me at Ryan Walker Official on YouTube, TikTok, and on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Thought Plane Media. Also, check out Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We hope to see you on the next Close Up with Ryan and Joe, where we debate AI in the film industry, present and future. Till next time. Take care.